Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. With us today, we have Dr. Ira Wolf. Um, I have to say doctor because I just in the prep realized that uh, Dr. Wolf started his career um, in dentistry and spent almost 20 years as a dentist. But over the last 28 years, he's actually been uh, become one of the country's leading experts in everything recruiting and human resources. So today with Ira, we're going to be talking about the future of HR, which is very relevant given where we are as a world. So Ira, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here. And yeah, I think my career, my life, uh, some of the changes reflects what we're going to be talking about today, you know, the well, ev evolution of HR. Well, the evolution of HR, let's just start there because, you know, the last few years um, have been very, very hard on both employers and employees. You know, the the incredible uncertainty and the fast-paced changes to adapt to everything that happened largely as a result of the pandemic um, have changed, I think, inalterably the landscape of HR and what employees expect and what employers have to provide and how they're adjusting. So I'd love a quick synopsis, you know, knowing how little time we have overall, but like, what is this state of HR at this particular moment in, you know, September of 2022? I think we can easily sum it up in an acronym, which I've been talking about for 20 years. And Warren Bennis uh, was talking about it for almost 50 years, VUCA, V-U-C-A. Uh, the state of HR is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Uh, I, I think that I, I don't know, and I think that's about our life too. I, I say if there's an if there's four letters that summarizes uh, or encapsulates what 2020 was like and our life since then, it's been VUCA, V-U-C-A, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Yeah, I, that certainly resonates with me, and I think uh, a lot of the writing that I've done. Has oh, at the beginning of the pandemic and and throughout really has uh, alluded to that ability to adjust and adapt because I've always talked about that the ability to adapt is so crucial for survival of life but it's become even more obvious now. I mean, one of the greatest things we'll get to lots of the trends, but one of the things that certainly seems uh, that's here to stay and that every company is navigating and then every employee is navigating is what we'll call both remote as well as hybrid work. You know, when offices shut down because of COVID, you know, it was all of a sudden remote work was 100% the name of the game, except for essential workers, right? I mean, where are we right now? And where do you think the future of remote slash hybrid work is going? I'm going to go back to VUCA. It's uncertain, <laughs> complex, and ambiguous, right? Uh, I wouldn't say volatile at this point, but at least uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Ambiguous. Uh, that's where we are. I mean, there's, you know, there's this challenge going on and there's a, is a great divide between the C-suite and executives and employees. 
uh, executives are saying, hey, we want people to come back. We're demanding people to come back. We've got the Elon Musk, Jamie Dimon, a number of organizations, Apple. I just saw, read yesterday that Apple uh, workers were were basically um, boycotting. Open, open letter Apple. to the CEO, right? Saying, yeah, yeah no. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not coming back. Uh, so, you know, I think the conversation, and I've actually got a, a chat. I, I was a co-author on a new book coming out. It's about creating a, a, great, uh, a great culture in a remote work. Uh, remote workplace. And we talk about that all the time. And, and one of the challenges is that it becomes an either or. It's not a binary choice. You know, people are saying that everybody needs to come back to the work or it's got to be 100%. And the reality is in between those two is, is what hybrid is. But hybrid's not one thing. Hybrid is there's there's 99 degrees of separation uh, between hybrid and or between remote and in person, uh, and that's the evolution. You know, some people are saying, "Oh, it's a four day work week." Well, four day work week, if you're going to put 10 or 12 hours in, in in during those times, it allows you that one day. But you know, what if you don't have childcare? What if you have a long commute? Um, you know, what if you don't need to be there? I mean, I I've been I keep hearing more and more of this of people going to work, and when they're in work, they're on Zoom meetings even in the same office right. that they're meeting with other people. So we're, we're still working it out. And I, and I think that, and we say it facetiously, but I really do think it's uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. We haven't figured it out. Companies are, are trialing it. And, and what they do this year, if they make a change 12 months from now, it didn't mean that it didn't work. It's a journey. This is going to be a journey. But there's no turning back. We are not going back to only 2% of workers have an option to work remote and 98% have to somehow go to an office, go to a corporate center, go to a, a manufacturing facility, they go to someplace. Um, we're not ever going back to that. But there are, but the reality is the other thing, and this is really important for people to understand, there's only 40% of jobs that even have the potential at this point to be remote or hybrid. Mm -hmm. There are 60% of jobs that still require people to show up. We just had a landscaper. He can't do that remote. Yeah. Uh, we had a plumber. He can't do that remote. You go to the doctors. Some of those things can be done remote, but a lot of the procedures can't be done remote. Nursing can't be done remote. Uh, so there's a lot of 60% uh, of jobs are right now have to be in person. That likely will change yeah. going forward. So stay tuned, everybody. And, um, but and right now, will play a big role in allowing that. I mean, you think about telemedicine, for instance, right? Um, oh, and all sorts of things. But you're right. There are some things that require either human to human interaction or in the future, perhaps, you know, robot to human. But that's a different topic. We have this big infrastructure bill. So there's all this construction that's going to come out. Sorry, people. I mean, there's going to be some autonomous vehicles. And, yeah, there may be some drones and, and some 3D printing going on. Uh, but this, we still need a lot of people. Yes. to do that. I mean, that's that's part of the goal is to put people back to work, although that's a whole other story of where they're going to find all these people. Uh, well, let's, we let's talk about that, Ira, because I think that's the next obvious topic is as we move away from the pandemic and what's happened and, and really into the future, which has been influenced by the pandemic. But we've been talking around the world, but especially in the United States, about this conversation around the great resignation. And of course, there is conversation about a short labor shortage, right? That people don't want to work. Well, there's also this awesome conversation happening around people realizing that because there is a labor shortage, people have been trading up in terms of benefits, in terms of lifestyle, in terms of salaries. Now, that is a luxury position. I'm curious of your 
assessment based, I mean, you've obviously for the last 28, seven years, you've been running a company as the founder and CEO called Success Performance Solutions, focused on both recruiting and retention in small to medium-sized enterprise. I think about a month ago, you sold that company. So, so congratulations. But you know this industry, you know this business inside and out and the challenges of recruiting in this new world. Is that true that people are trading up? Is there really labor shortage? How are we getting people back to work? And what does the future of kind of, let's call it recruiting look like before we get to retention? Yeah, well, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, and, and you know, part one of it is recruiting in the age of Googleization. So obviously that's been, you know, a topic of that. But let's go back to the core question. Where have all the workers gone? And, and there's certainly... Um, a little bit of truth to the fact that some people aren't working. They, they don't want to work. They've changed. They've cut back. They're not going to put 60 hours of work of hours or 60 or 80 hours of work in. They're just going to do 40, maybe 50. Um, but that's a cutback. I mean, so so there's a there's a shortage of of available hours, maybe. Mm -hmm. There's also some people that have left the workforce. And there's a lot of reasons why and, and way too deep to go into in, in, in this short call. Um, but just to give you an example is in, in 1950, nearly nine out of 10 males, working age males between the ages of 18 and 54 worked full time. Today, that's 62%. So we've lost 30%. So that's one thing. So there are people sitting on the sidelines, but it's not because of the pandemic. It's not because of Gen Z and the millennials. This has been going on for 70 years. There's been a decline. The other issue, though, is it just a demographic issue. In, in, we had the baby boomers. And in the 50s and 60s, we had 2.5 million new workers come into the workforce every year. 2.5 million. Then we had a little bit of a dip with Gen, Gen Z but or, or Gen X, but it really didn't matter in the 80s and 90s because we had we had all these baby boomers that were still coming in. And then we all had a little bit of a recession. And then the millennials came in and we had another 2.5 million new workers every year. We had ample supply. They were just pouring in and the baby boomers weren't exiting like they were supposed to. So we still had the baby boomers. We had Gen X was fully in. We had millennials and then arrives Gen Z. And it's like, what are we, we're, we are, we, we've got more people that we know what to do with. One problem. The same time that was happening, the fertility rate went down from 3.6 to 1.6. So we weren't replacing all those babies. We also cut off immigration, which was another issue. And the baby boomers finally and started- labor, And skilled labor immigration specifically. Right. And then and, the baby boomers- And visas as well as other immigration. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, immigration is a complicated subject and, and we're not, we don't want to go down the political road here, but we, we didn't have that. And there was this backlash of, hey, we're taking all these jobs away from people. And now- 2020 happened. It what's revealed is uh, there are some people on the sideline, but we just don't have the numbers because I gave you those 2.5 million new workers every year for three out of four decades. We now have under 500,000 new workers, and that's going to continue for the next 15 years. So the problem is, is we stopped immigration, baby boomers are retiring. The, the Gen Z is supposed to be replacing the baby boomers, except there's only one half as many and not all of them are working. And they're saying, no, we're not going to do 80 hours a week. We're going to do 40 hours a week or we're going to do 40 hours a week. And then we're going to take three months off. OK, so there's a whole lot of dynamics. So is there a labor shortage? Yes. 
Is it because people are just lazy and bad attitude and sitting on the sidelines? No, there are some, but I can tell you, I can point my fingers at my peers, older baby boomers that were lazy and had a bad work attitude. Um, you can do that in every generation. So we, we've got a problem. So employers have a problem. <laughs> employers have a problem. And 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 something interesting, I mean, you're focused on small and medium enterprise. I mean, I, I recently um, am working with a client who focused on the middle market and 40% of American companies fit into this category of 10 million to to a billion dollars, right? And, and in fact, the percentage of uh, employed Americans by the Fortune 500 has declined over the last 40 years, um, percentage-wise. So it's a very interesting dynamic where the innovation engine of America really has to call, come from these small and medium enterprises that often don't have the same support as the startups or the big guys. So what? let's talk about we have recruiting as one challenge, but we have retention and engagement as another, right, within, within the rank and file, because at this point, you want to hold on. So coming toward back to the future of HR, um, what are the things that companies are doing, can do to both re re attract and retain their talent? What are what are the things that companies need to do and that employees or potential employees are looking for? Yeah, and that's a great question. And it, it's a pretty it's a pretty easy answer. It's a quick answer, but it's again uncertain, complex, and ambiguous to implement. Uh, it's about employee experience. I've been talking. I talked about that with candidate experience for the last ten years. That was my book. That was what recruiting in the age of Googleization was about. It was about having a better candidate experience because uh, uh, job applicants, job seekers, weren't putting up with, you know, the, the the long delays and the ghosting and everything else. But now that the focus is that's still real. That's still important. But now it's how do we keep the people because once they leave, it's not that easy to replace them. Uh, and it really is about the, the the pandemic kind of ripped back a curtain on a very fragile, poorly performing culture, if you will. Uh, co companies got away with murder, with low pay, toxic cultures. Uh, really, don't still don't understand how to how do you hire on performance? How do you really monitor performance and, and monitoring keystrokes and mouse movements? And, and eye movements in front of a screen, which which just exposed how fragile and stupid the system was, uh, isn't isn't really isn't a good performance management system. It, the pandemic didn't cause it. It never existed before. And when they tried to translate it to digital, it was horrible. So companies really need to. But the, when when there's a short supply, and, and I'll give Lou Adler credit for this. Uh, he's a guest on, on on our podcast, and he said the the demand for talent is infinite, but the supply is limited. And that's our reality. That's been shaping over the last 50 years since as long as I've been in business, but there was those 2.5 million people and immigration taking care of that. Now we're in short supply. How do you, how do you deal with that? Number one, do you treat people fairly with dignity um, there's there's a couple of books coming out or been written about the one is called humanocracy, bringing the people back, having a people first culture. You can call it whatever you want, but now it's no longer just the poster on your wall. It's no longer a tagline on your business. It's no yeah. longer just Real a short first culture is important, right? It, it is, and, and but I, I'm of the belief, and this is the, I'll challenge the the 
the company culture, we need a better company culture, we need a people first culture, people forward culture, whatever you want to call it. My belief is you don't create the culture and employee experience happens. You create a, you create an exceptional employee experience and the culture is the result. And I think people went into, we're going to have a three-day retreat and we're going to bring in a consultant and we're going to define our mission and our purpose and our why. We're going to get everybody on board and we're going to, and here's the, if we follow these steps, we'll have a good employee experience. And that's BS. We actually have, my, my colleague and I have a, a, a topic called the no BS culture. And BS is BS, but it also refers to the B and the S refers to no burnout and stress, which goes back to, hey, people are just tired of this and people will work really, really hard. Uh, there was a survey by Pew and they talked about the reasons that people leave. And number one is, was compensation in 2021. Okay. The wages are going up and people are finally, companies are finally getting that message. But number two was lack of career opportunity. Uh, and number three was a lack of respect. Um, and, and, and and I think the lack of respect talks to a couple of things, right? I mean, there is the, but you talked about like how Gen Z wants to be, you know, they want to live like 40 hours a week and then take three months off or whatever. But like, whatever we, whoever we talk about, whichever generation it is, there is an aspect of respect and there is a failure of systems. We're not going to get into politics, but like we are one of four countries in the entire world in America that has no paid leave, whether that is Parent, you know, parental, so maternal or paternal, whether it's paid medical, you know, whether it's grievance. I mean, there are all sorts of things that we don't have a social safety net for that employers, you know, need to step into the void. And now we have women's, you know, healthcare as as reproductive healthcare as one more of those topics. And and it becomes very complicated. I think respect is a very broad understanding umbrella of what employers need to think about providing in an age of, you know, I think distrust, frankly, and, and broken systems. Yeah, there's two really important things you said there that, that I don't want to pass over. You know, one is we don't have policies, but many companies do. They, you know, they have two weeks vacation pay or whatever, and five days of sick day, all fine and good, except when, when the culture penalizes you for taking them. Right. Hey, we're short employees, we're understaffed, I, I'm burnt out, I'm stressed out, and then you get penalized to do that. So just because companies say, oh, we give four weeks vacation pay, or four weeks vacation, or you can or earn unlimited. up. Unlimited. Yeah, it does not mean that that employees can take it. So there's not that safe environment. Uh, the, the other thing that, um, and I, I actually forgot <laughs> the, what, what, you, what you mentioned, but basically, I mean, that's part of the challenge. I mean, we're moving... We're, we're, we're moving to this every, what we're calling this everywhere workplace. Yeah. And, and because of Gen Z says, I'm going to take off a month. Oh, I don't, I remember what I was going to say because Gen Z or millennials or baby boomers say, Hey, I'm not willing to go back five days a week, commute and put 80 hours a weekend. That doesn't mean they're not willing to work hard. Right. Okay. And, and that was on the pew, this pew list is that way down in the bottom, um, that on a small percentage of people said, why did you quit? It, nobody said, because I worked too hard. Right. It was about one out of three left because of that reason. But there was a lot of more important reasons, almost double the percentage of people cited than I'm working too hard. People yeah. are of all generations are willing to work hard. I know some Gen Zs that are going to school, have a full-time job and a part-time job. Absolutely. Um, I teach a class, I teach a master's class. 
there are there are people that are working a job, they have families, they're doing all the things they can do, and they're going to continue their education. People are willing to work hard of of all of all generations, including the younger generations, but without respect, without a purpose, without alignment, and if they're not treated fairly, no, they're going to put in the they're they're going to do the quiet quitting. They're going to put in the what was expected of them forty hours. Here's what it says on my job description. I'm just going to get by. And employers hate that because they got used to milking the system. They were taking advantage of people for last seven decades. Yeah. Well, as we think about wrapping up, Ira, I want to ask two final questions. The first, you talk a lot about Googleization. I think even in your business card, it says chief Googleization officer. So I want to give you a chance to explain to listeners and watchers what, what Googleization is. But I also, we have only a couple minutes. What are like, if you're an employer, you know, and you're looking for, you need to recruit as everyone does and retain, what are the top three things? We've just talked about respect, et cetera, but like real tangible actions that you think are, are that they should be doing to, to, to win and succeed in the future of HR. Right. So Googleization is easy. It's the convergence of business technology and people. That's what we've had to and and it it all came into it all converged at the hit the the point uh, and we had this perfect storm in the last couple of years and it's a convergence of people business and technology so that's what it is and it creates that and creates that world of VUCA that uh, world of uh, uncertainty uh, you know what can companies do um, there's three metrics and we've been involved through that transition of how do people adapt and so it's how do people adapt and we talk a lot about companies put the blame on employees and they talk about grit and resilience uh i am a huge huge proponent of growth mindset i don't know how any organization whether it's in the c-suite or down to the front line that people are going to be able to adapt and 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 adapt is a broad word, but make any change, become more comfortable being uncomfortable if they don't have a growth mindset. Because we just grew up with this world of just do what you're told, don't challenge, you're not very good at this, just stick with what your strengths are, um, whole sense of things. So we can talk about another day. Hopefully you'll have me back and we can talk about growth mindset. But the other part of that is what companies need to do. And we mentioned they have to create a better employee experience. And how do you do that? So that we use what we call an ACE, the ACE model. And the ACE model is about change. So A is for abilities, which I just talked about. C is for character. Per, different people's personalities affect that. Um, we, we're not out to change personalities, but we have to understand who our people are. Okay. But we also have the organization. And the organization, the environment, needs to create this psychologically safe space or just a work environment or you know what's the state of people's emotional health um putting in 20 years burning out stressing out isn't going to happen anymore so we look at uh cut three measures do do employees feel that the company has their back so we look at company support we look at something that Gallup's been looking at, and it's getting worse um, for for the last twenty for the last thirty years. Uh, engagement. So we look at team support. Do do the employees feel that the managers have their back and their coworkers do? One of the things that's happened with remote work, and it is a little bit challenging, but not impossible, is that people are saying, you know, we our friends. We spend so much time at work. That was our friends. We had our neighbors and we had other, we had classmates, but really we built connections at work. 
we had friends and that's what's difficult to do right now for the younger workers i mean onboarding and and building some, your networks and the osmosis of learning from older. Mentors. And there are some workers over the last couple of years, some young people that went to college. I mean, it was remote. Right. I mean, they lost that whole opportunity right. to develop the connections, those friends. So people need connections and a huge opportunity for business is really to figure that out. And it and, and the excuse is we have to be in person to do that. You don't have to be in person. There's ways to build good connections uh, through with technology. I'm not saying 100%, but there are ways to be able to do that. So that's a huge opportunity, but that's another measure. So we look at company support, team support, and Gal has been talking for years that, you know, managers, you know, people don't leave companies, they leave managers. So managers, the, the managers got to up their game, <laughs> you know, just simply. And then the third is, is you need to create an environment where that's allowed to happen. You need to create an environment. They say, hey, we have great policies, but we still can't attract people. Then you have to go to the next step is why. And it's like, well, are the managers penalizing the employees for taking a day off? Right. You know, so or, coming back to the culture and the culture yeah. of support, trust, dignity, respect that counters this concept of volatility, uncertainty, et cetera, that is the VUCA, right? Yeah, or even the performance metrics. So performance metrics are based on productivity. If productivity declines because 10% of your workforce is on vacation or took off that day, and you gave them the flexibility that that they needed to retain themselves, but that means you're short-staffed, your production numbers go down, and then the manager gets penalized, then he takes it back out. So it it, it really is complex, but... we. The HR needs to really step up to the plate, which has not, and HR has traditionally not been very good with people, not only people analytics, but just with metrics. Their metrics were pretty soft. And I, and I have to, I, I have to say that that is like, I'm going to actually just stop us because that's like the mic drop, Ira. It's like HR really needs to step up to the plate. I think is like, because we are now entering a human centered workforce If we've always had that, but we need it more than ever to go forward. And to, especially in the, in the United States where, you know, employers drive a lot of the innovation um, and, and, and growth of this country. So um, I think HR really needs to step up to the plate with metrics, as you said, that, that measure the right things that are going to uh, lead to recruitment and retention. Oh, absolutely. And, and this isn't a blip. This isn't, we still, people look at it. This is, we're just in this post pandemic Valley. And then like, you know, all of a sudden it's going to springtime and all the, the trees and the blooms and, and all this excitement comes back. It's going to be challenging and it's not going to be uniform. There are going to be some regions that thrive and some that are still stuck and then it's going to reverse and there's going to be some industries and some jobs. Uh, we're, it's going to be volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ira Wolf, on uh, Future of XYZ and talking about the future of HR. It's really been a pleasure. Absolutely. And you can tell by my passion that I love doing it. And hopefully people connect with me on, on LinkedIn and uh, and we'll continue the conversation. I love that. Um, absolutely. Uh, uh, Ira's company is uh, poised for the future. Um, please check him out. Uh, and everyone who is watching or listening, if you don't already subscribe to Future of XYZ, make sure you do. You can do it on YouTube uh, or anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or a nice note on Apple Podcasts specifically and follow Future of XYZ on Instagram. We'll see you next week. Ira, thank you again. Thank you. Have a good day.
Thanks for listening to the Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to the Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.